It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you into the virtual bible study for thursday march 21st 2013 thank you for joining us on the program tonight my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn joins me to my right your left hello dad jacob great to be with you as always we look forward to our thursday night bible study and a group that gathers on the internet to talk about important And we are looking forward to hearing from you. And we've got a stack of response from our listeners tonight. Uh, So we've already heard from several of you. And if you've not uh, taken time to join in on the discussion, uh, now is the time to get your thoughts together and send them in via email, questions at collegeview.com. Send them in the chat room to the right of your video window. And uh, the toll-free line is open and ready for your phone call. That's the best way for your thoughts to be heard tonight, 877-381-381. Four five six seven. We're looking forward to hearing from you on tonight's broadcast on a subject that you know I, I think I'm hearing more and more about uh, this or this argument against God, and we'll talk about it tonight. Yeah, we we're going to deal with the question, Jacob: Is God immoral? And uh, that's a question that is being brought up. The skeptics are sort of, I think, pushing this a little more aggressively to suggest that when you read the Bible. You read a lot of really violent acts mm-hmm. that were committed, especially mm-hmm. in the Old Testament time period. And there are, without doubt and, and no denying, that there are episodes in the Old Testament where God ordered the killing of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, in some of those instances, not all, but in some, it's verifiable that what we would deem innocent people were also punished. Right. Uh, women, children, infants. Uh, and so... Those who uh, uh, are opponents of the Bible see this as a, an argument to make. I think it's a worthy. We're not dodging the question. Obviously, we're not dodging the question. We, we brought it up as a topic for discussion well, on the virtual that's Bible true. study. Now, we, it, it is, it is a, a concerning question. It's a question certainly worthy of discussion. Uh, and so uh, we want to talk about that tonight. We want to we be able to give an answer when someone questions us about any aspect of our faith, and so I think we need to be ready to do that. All right, 877-381-4567 is the number to call. We'd like to hear from you tonight. We're talking about the atheist claim that God is immoral on the program, and there may be some atheists listening, and uh, we would especially welcome your uh, call or your email tonight. We have an email from one atheist that we'll get to a little bit later. And if you uh, would disagree with us on this, I think most of our listeners are going to be in uh, in harmony on this and uh, will be agreeing with us. But uh, there will be some who will disagree and would like to hear from you. And, and we got one email from a, a fellow. He's on our update list. We get emails from him from time to time. Tim, who listens uh, fairly regularly, I think, has written us a long email. He is an atheist. And he he and has some, he, he, he seems a, a little agitated by the discussion. He's mad at you, for, but uh, we'll, we'll look forward to hearing from him. Uh, just to give you a, a sense, Jacob, of the kind of attacks against God in the Bible that are being made by these who are opponents, mm-hmm. atheists typically, I would argue that, that, that it would come mostly from atheist circles. Here's a quote from a book by Richard Dawkins called The God Delusion. He said, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, felicidal, I don't even know what that word is. I meant to look that up. Felicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, sadomasochistic, I can't even get all these words. I know, it's a mouthful, but it's a mouthful of blasphemy, but go ahead. Uh, And he says, I'm sorry, go ahead. The the last one, the sadomasochist, he misused that word, I know what it means. Oh, okay. And and then he concludes by saying he's a capriciously malevolent bully. 
So you get the idea. Dawkins doesn't like the notion of God. No, he and he's doesn't. arguing, basically, cutting through all those big words, he is arguing that God, the God of the Bible is just a really mean person. And anybody who believes in that kind of stuff is foolish, basically. Okay. Well, do you agree with him? Let us know your thoughts. Now, if you don't agree with him, how do you answer those claims? You asked several questions. Okay, here's the time. questions we posed to our update list earlier today, as we always do about Thursday noon. Uh, if you're on our list and you can get on our list by sending us an email, questions at collegeview.com, put me on the list. That's all you have to say. We'll send out an update as we did today, and here's the questions that we put on the list. On what basis can atheists make determinations about what is moral? Where did concepts of morality originate if atheistic evolution is true? Mm-hmm. All right, question two. No, it, it's the atheists who are saying God is immoral. What's their basis of morality? On what basis do they make their determinations of morality? Uh, and how did that ever uh, – one of the questions – you don't remember, Jacob, when we uh, – and this has been, what, three, four, five years ago, we interviewed Dan Barker, who's a yes. well nationally well-known atheist promoter. Right, we did. Uh, and we posed the question to him, from whence did the idea of good and morality come if evolution is true? Mm-hmm. I, I didn't think he was uh, able to give us a very satisfactory answer to that. We'll talk a little bit more about that tonight. Number two, would atheists agree that some actions deserve some sort of punishment? If so, does this explain some of the actions taken by God's commands in the Old Testament? Number three, are atheists being hypocritical to condemn the killing of innocent children in the Old Testament when they defend the act of abortion today? Number four, how does the concept of eternity help believers to deal with the death of innocent people in in some of the Old Testament incidents that we are discussing? And finally, number five, how do these facts relate to the topic of violence in the Old Testament? A, God has complete knowledge and understanding of all things, and B, God owns or has ownership of all things. All right. So that's the way we're going to go. Felicidal. What's it mean? Well, felicide is uh, the killing of cats. So felicidal is God's inclined to kill cats. I don't know why that is That's not how that's spelled. Surely that's not what that word is. Did you spell it right? Yeah, I did. F-I-L. Oh, F-I-L. Yeah. Oh, F-E-L. You spelled F-E-L, didn't you? I did spell it F-E-L. That's feline. We know about a feline. Yeah. What, what do they say, Monty? So many cats, so few good recipes. Let's see. Well, felicide is uh, the deliberate act of parent killing of his, hey. own, of his own son or daughter. So that'd be the crucif- crucifixion of Christ. Uh, that you know, the parent killing his his, his child. Yeah. Oh, oh. Okay. okay. Yeah, that makes more. That's sense. a word I, I I didn't know that word. Okay. Did you All know right. that word, Monty? Oh no. Okay. All right. All uh, right. But it's not true. Well, I mean, it's. It's a, it's blasphemy. Yeah. Let's okay. All right. Let's go to let's go to this. Uh, as we said, our listener Tim uh, and and I want to contact Tim subsequent to our discussion tonight and see if he'd care to join us on the virtual Bible study at some point in the future. Maybe yeah, talk about some of our differences. So Tim, uh, uh, we'll try to get in touch and see if you'd like yeah, to. Tim doesn't like the way that you. He says you're leading, but I don't know why you're leading because or because. And pointing the finger, you didn't point the finger at the atheist. You said, "How do you how do you answer the atheist?" And that's yeah. not pointing any fingers at the atheist. Yeah, I mean, it, and we are leading. That's what these questions are all about. We're trying to lead people in a discussion of important matters. And we welcome you. And, and, and the the fact of the matter is, we didn't have to bring this up. We brought it up. We we could ignore this question on the virtual Bible study, but we think it's a question that, in honesty and integrity, we are bound to try to to explain. This to the satisfaction of an honest questioner. Right. Now we, so we brought the question up. Are we asking leading questions? Yes. We're trying to lead this discussion about an important topic. I, I thought I, that's what talk show hosts did was lead a discussion. Uh, that, I, I don't understand that criticism. Okay. But, but Jim doesn't like what you said. Okay. And so we we we, we got some really long emails. Our, our, our regular correspondent in the U.K., up in, in England, uh, Chris, has sent us a manuscript that there's no way we'll be able to cover in entirety. Fifteen pages out of the printer. Fifteen uh, on the, pages. Yeah. Mm. So we won't be able to get all Chris, that. Sorry, but we'll get as many as we can. Yeah. Let's go to the first question. On what basis can atheists make determinations about what's moral? Where did concepts of morality originate if atheistic evolution is true? I think that's a fair question that the atheist has to answer. In other words, the, the atheist is saying... God is an immoral being. If there is a God, if the, if the God of the Bible is, is as you Christians describe him, he's an immoral being. 
Well, how do how do you make that determination as to what is moral and what's not if you yeah. don't believe in God? God is the source of moral standards. There is no standard if you don't. I mean, who's to say? You know, this is the question, as we said earlier, we posed to Dan Barker. And think about it this way. If we are simply the product of a long chain of evolutionary events, mm-hmm. and if the concept that drives evolution is uh, might makes natural right. selection, survival of the fittest, basically might makes right. In right. other words, it would be in the best interest of our species for the strong to survive and the weak to be eliminated from the gene pool. In other words, that then our offspring would continue to get stronger and stronger and evolve to higher and higher. But what do we do instead of that? We got we got a sick person here, and so we we go out of our way. We expend energy that we could spend that we could have used in more productive pursuits to care for this. Here's a, here's a child born with a genetic flaw, and we nurture and care for instead this child instead of eating them. Yeah, and, and you know if. if where did that come from? I'm, I'm, obviously, I believe that these are absolutely right things to do, but how would just a naturally evolved being ever develop that notion? It, that does, these, it does not perpetuate the race by right. taking care of the weaker, right. the, does, the invalid, does, the sick, and the invalid. In fact, you could pretty well prove that genetically we're becoming a more and more flawed species. We should get rid of these beings who are bringing us down. we got to, we got to elevate the species. What, wasn't that sort of what Adolf Hitler was saying? You know, he wanted, he wanted, a, he wanted a superior race? I don't know. Uh, but here, in, in Tim's email, here's how he explains it. He, he quotes from a, a rather long article by a fellow named Fred Edwards, and here's what he says. When theologians imagine that human beings without some theologically derived moral system would be without any point of reference upon which to anchor their ethics... They forget the following factors, which most humans share in common. Number one, normal human beings share the same basic survival and growth needs. We all belong to the same species and reproduce our own kind, so it should come as no surprise to anyone that we can have common interests and concerns. Yeah. So do other animals. Yeah, but so they, they, eat, they, they, they eat each other, though. Right, right. Why don't we eat people? Why don't we right. eat our own? If they're, if they're not okay. if they're not survivable, right. why don't we just eat okay, them? Okay, go ahead. Um, he says social biologists are learning that important human behaviors which seem to persist across cultural lines may be rooted in the genes. Whoa. Wait a minute. How would that be? Right. If evolution occurred, why, how did they get in the genes? How did that get in the genes? Because it shouldn't be in the genes. Yeah. Okay. I'm skipping over. I'm just hitting highlights here. He says we share the same planetary environment with other humans. If we add the fact that we already share needs in common, we are fraught with common problems and enjoy common pleasures. We share similar experiences and therefore can easily identify with one another and share similar goals. That sounds like that doesn't sound like something that would come upon people naturally, um, and, th- and so and this is a long article. I don't have time to read it all, but Tim says I would. Uh, as, after having quoted that, he he says I would argue that atheists have higher morals than Christians. We generally do what's right, not because we fear hell or want reward in heaven, but we do what we feel is right for the simple reason of doing the right thing. I would disagree with that. I. I I, I, and again, how would you objectively measure whether atheists are more moral or people who believe in the Bible are more moral? What's your than, standard? Yeah, I, I don't know how you prove that one way or the other. All right, all well, right. Let's go to some of our. Tim is in the chat room, I think. And Tim, if you are uh, willing, we'd like to talk to you. It'd be better. It'd be easier for you to get your thoughts across to us on the phone. But it um, might be better for us to go through this tonight, Jacob, and maybe try to arrange something in okay. person with Tim Either on way. a subsequent way. study. Yeah. Maybe, okay. maybe even next week we could follow up with another study, and Tim could take some of the answers we give tonight and then... then Be prepared then, to answer them, maybe. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. okay. We, did, we, did, uh, we, did, we can have a friendly discussion and just uh, get our thoughts out there so everyone can hear them uh, without, uh, without any hard feelings. So, uh, Ramona in Texas says, uh, have they ever figured out what identifies the motivation to live right? Can they logically rise above preconventional morality in terms of what they actually do? Religious people can logically plan on being rewarded by God, good or bad. Some atheists say they have a moral barometer, but where do they get this moral barometer? How do they say what is right and what is wrong? I would ask, how do they calibrate their moral barometer if they have one? Where's their standard? Uh, Ramona goes on. They say religion is not the source of morality. If it were, atheists wouldn't be... Uh, as underrepresented in prison populations as they are. 
They say they are capable of reciprocal altruism, just like any animal. They are capable of understanding consequences and rewards and behaving accordingly, just like any animal. It's all brain function, environment, and conditioning. So they are equating themselves with animals, not as humans, with a soul. And Ramona comments that that's very sad. Okay. Uh, Chris in Atlanta says, I've read many books by atheists and agnostics, and from what I understand, they view morality as an evolutionary product. Again, that's what we just read from Tim's quote. Uh, Morals evolved to protect humans as a species. In other words, if humans lived as animals, then we would not have become the dominant species. We would have fought among ourselves, killed, stolen, until we could not have survived. If we do not have a set of rules or morals, then we could not survive and thrive as a species. How do these other species, how does every other species on planet Earth, you know, I mean, he says this philosophy fails. Chris is not making this argument. He doesn't believe it. He says this philosophy fails. It seems that we're born with a sense of morality. Even young children seem to develop a sense of right and wrong, fair and unfair at an early age. And I agree. We're the only species on the planet that has a sense of morality. Every other species, the millions of species that are on the planet, survive and thrive without a basis of morality. Jason in Pennsylvania says the only way atheists can have an objective basis to argue against God is by being inconsistent with the natural outcomes of their worldview. They must borrow from the objective standard God gives to criticize God. Atheists have no objective ground to stand on of their own to make any accusations against the God of the Bible or anyone else. If their worldview is true, we would be nothing more than evolved animals, and there would be no reason to place any more value on humans than you would on apes or skunks. If you did, you would be completely arbitrary in any distinction you would make and may be guilty of committing uh, racism against your cousins, the apes. If you would be just as moral, it would be just as moral to eat your neighbor than to love your neighbor if atheism and evolution is true. Any so-called morals would be completely arbitrary and subjective. Atheism reduces morals to either personal preferences similar to enjoying one flavor of ice cream over another. And that's, that is an excellent point. Where does the atheist come up with the idea that murder is wrong? Prove to me, the atheist, and Tim in the chat room, I'd like for you during the break to prove to me that murder is wrong. Why? You, you, you say that God is wrong to murder or to kill. It's not murder in God's case. You say it's wrong to, for God to kill other humans. Why is it wrong? Tell me why it's wrong. He can't. He, he, Tell he, me. Because, I'll, I'll, just because he, he doesn't like it. Basically, that's all you could say. It doesn't. I, I don't think it's the right thing to do. And that I don't may think. get to the root of the deal. They don't like God, yeah. and and, uh, and okay. so they don't want to accept okay. him. Uh, Peter in Australia, way down under, we haven't heard from Peter in a while. Peter says atheists, by their claim that they do not believe in God, are acknowledging that there is a God. I'm not, I'm not sure I understand Peter's statement there, but he says, he goes on to say, I cannot answer your question because evolution so clearly did not happen, so one can't explain an alternative origin of morality. Okay, Chris in the U.K., uh, well, this is a long email. Um, I, we, have, we may have to pick some out of that and go with it uh, uh, subsequent to the break here. Right? Okay. We need to put that with his other long email. Uh, he, here's, he summarizes to this. I am led to ask the following questions. If you say your moral standard, whether social or personal, is evolving, then by what subjective standard do you judge that it is getting better? And if you say your, more, uh, and if you say your moral standard, whether social or personal, is evolving and getting better, then how do you know it is getting better without committing the logical fallacy of begging the question by saying things are getting better because they are evolving. And if you say your standard is evolving and getting better, then how can you assert that it won't evolve into something that contradicts what you believe now, thereby demonstrating that your moral beliefs now were really wrong? And if your moral standard is evolving and can contradict itself, can that system of moral determination be true science if it can produce self-contradiction? All right. So what Chris basically is saying, the the argument is circular. Somewhat circular in reason. Here's Jim in Kentucky says, The irony is that atheists wish for the right to declare God as either right or wrong, which is what morality deals with. They desire to be right with God in classifying what is right and what is wrong, yet they have no basis for making that classification. Why? Because if, as they say, they have simply evolved, then there is no ultimate standard right or wrong. As humanism explains, each one of us has the right to declare what we think is right and what we think is wrong. The hypocrisy then of the atheist is that they declare the authority to classify God's actions wrong and their actions is right. All the descriptions Mr. Dawkins employs, such as unpleasant, jealous, petty, unjust, unforgiving, vindictive, malevolent, infer a higher standard right or wrong, which the atheist refuses to follow themselves. 
In a classic case, as liberals often do, of employing one standard for those we deem as wrong and another standard for ourselves. And Anthony says, I don't see that the atheist has any basis to define morality. One person's definition would be just as valid as another. The concept of morality comes from God's revealed will, his instructions on how we are to live our lives. If we are nothing more than brute beasts, there would be no reason to create a moral code. And in the chat room, Tim has responded to my question, how do we know that murder is wrong? Tim responds by saying murder is wrong because it harms others. Well, there's a standard. Who gets to define the standard that it is wrong to harm others? You know, uh, I, the, the animals don't have that standard. Uh, Are they uh, wrong? A, a to lion eat? in the jungle uh, could eat a, eats, eats a weaker animal, and it's not wrong for him. Fish in the ocean eat their young. It's, is that wrong? Yeah. Is it wrong for the fish to eat their fry? Why not? If, it, if it's not wrong for them, why is it wrong for us and vice versa? Who makes the standard that it is wrong to murder because it harms others? In other words, that harming others... It might, it, actually, as we were saying earlier, it might help others. If we eliminated this particular... Weaker person, genetic strain. Weaker genetic strain from breeding, we might actually be doing good and helping the species to, to evolve to a higher level. Why is it why, why is it wrong why, to hurt how someone else? Harm? How did harm get to be the How do we standard? know that? That's the answer. That That's the question they can't answer. Real quickly, we've we got to get a break. We, let's get done with this first question here. Uh, we've got a long Tim answer. Tim responds, from, because based on my experience and understanding of society. Well, maybe my is, experience says that it's a good thing to harm others rather than wrong thing. But society. Because, you know because of circumstances I've lived in, so therefore it's okay to harm others. But it's undeniable. And there have been societies who felt that way. Yes. But what Tim is saying, he's learned this by his uh, interaction with society. Society, I mean, it's it's undeniable that, that society has been strongly influenced by religion. In other words, he's, he's, oh. say, he's saying he's come to this position. How did he say it? By, by his experience and understanding of society. But society is what it is, and I, I think any sociologist would agree that society has been powerfully influenced by religion throughout history. Okay. And so he's acknowledging the the, the, the positive benefit of religion oh, oh. In, in a backdoor sort of way. Okay. What about that? Uh, okay. Uh, so maybe religion isn't bad. Maybe that God isn't bad. All right. Real quick, I got uh, an email from Patrick in Birmingham. I must take. I must make a concerted effort to be brief because I could spend hours just researching addressing this one question. From what I've read and listened to, atheists themselves do not have a con- consensus regarding the origin of morality. Perhaps the best explanation I've heard from an atheist can be summarized by pragmatism. In other words, what it works. What works. Morality is seen as rooted in self-interest, and whatever is understood to be most expedient to the service of one's own self-interest is the basis of pragmatism. Through further extrapolation, morality is conceived as being a sort of social contract. To give an example, if a person owns a piece of property and another person steals it, then that act is an affront to the original owner's self-interest. Likewise, the other person would perceive the theft of his property as an offense against his self-interest. In either case, the thief may be subject to the retaliation from one whose property was taken. Thus, for the sake of expediency, both men agree to refrain from the theft of others' property. This agreement is the social contract. In other words, there is no objective standard. It's only subjective. Furthermore, there is no understanding of any inherent rights to man. The inherent problem should be obvious. This social contract only works as long as everyone agrees to abide by it, uh, agrees to it and abides by it. Uh, the only motive to keep it is each individual's understanding that this agreement is in his own best interest. But if anyone decides that his own self-interest can be better served by, viola- by violating this social contract, there's no restraint upon him except the potential retaliation, retaliation of other members in his society. As a consequence, if any members of the society believe in a manner contrary to the tenets of the social contract, then it is only by dominance through fear or force that the other members of the society are coerced into adhering to the status quo. This also leads to the fact that the tenets of social contract are subject to change according to the beliefs of the members of society, either because of a shift in majority consensus or through dominance over the other members of the society. For example, if children are seen as beneficial, then the the protection and care of children is a tenet of the social contract. But if at a later time children are seen as a burden, then the withdrawal of protection and care or even the act of killing them may become a tenet of the social contract. I think Patrick's done a good job there of identifying how if it's just what we deem to be in our own best interest, then that is a constantly moving target. Yeah. 
and and uh, it leaves you in a scary position. And what right? Tim says that he thinks is right today, in another thousand years, might not might not be that way at all. And he'd have to acknowledge that as a reality. All right, let us know your thoughts. We are, I'll tell you what, we are way overdue for a break. Let's get one now, and uh, we'll get your thoughts on the other side. I think we're looking at a potential two-week discussion here. we got a lot of material, and uh, and maybe that would give Tim time to get his thoughts together and join us next week. We want to hear from you, 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A new report shows that for the first time in history, the median age of American women having babies is lower than the median age of marriage. American women are having babies on average at the age of 25.7, but they are marrying on average at age 26.5. By age 25, 44% of women have had a baby, while only 38% of women have been married. Overall, 48% of first births in America are to unwed mothers. That information is via CNS News. The Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're on the program tonight talking about God and asking the question, is God immoral? Many atheists, including Tim, have claimed that God is immoral based upon things that he has done in the Old Testament. We want to hear your thoughts on that. 877-381-4567 as we discuss this important issue. What about uh, your next question there for us? Well, get the point. I mean, we're dealing with the uh, accusation that God is immoral. And our first point dealt with how do you judge what's moral, what's not, what's right and what's wrong, yeah. you know, if you don't have an uh, objective standard. And so I think that's a worthy question that, that we have to answer and the atheist has to answer. We have, a, we have a standard. We ask the atheist, where is your standard and how do you arrive to that by that standard? The standard has been presented by Tim that the standard... Uh, that we live by is that it cannot harm others, uh, we ask, where do you get that standard? Uh, wh- where where does that idea come from? It doesn't come from the animal world. Where does it come from? And and, and evolution would not uh, present, would, would not uh, create that instinct genetically. It's not in the genetic, uh, it's not in the good of the uh, species uh, to care for those who are weaker. Okay. Our second question is, would atheists agree that some actions deserve some sort of punishment? And if so, if you make that acknowledgement, then would that be at least a partial explanation of some of the actions taken by God uh, or the commands he gave people to take in the Old Testament time right. period? We'll ask Tim in the, in the chat room. I think Tim has responded Tim, His well. answer to that, he's, his answer that he emailed us was... Sure, appropriate social justice is very important. But what is displayed in the Old Testament is far from what can be considered appropriate. Again, we'd ask you, to how do you determine that? What's your standard that the things that happen in the Old Testament are inappropriate? But Tim admits that punishment is acceptable. That's interesting. I think, I think that but, would... But, you know, I, I think that, that all people, atheists included, agree that some actions do deserve punishment. Uh, it, it's a necessary thing. If we're going to live as a civil society, some some things deserve punishment. Now, the reason I ask that question, and again, I, I accept that I, I accept that it may be a leading question. I believe that that therefore is at least a part of the explanation for the things that God told people to do in the Old Testament. For instance. The Old Testament is a specific history. It's not a general history. It's a, a specific history of the descendants of Abraham. God's dealing with the, the descendants of Abraham. 
who became the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. So we have tons of information about them. We don't have lots of information about others. We, we have some other information in the Bible. We have historic information about many different civilizations and cultures and nations of people. But in regards to the Israelites, we know that there were occasions when God told them uh, to go and punish uh, other peoples. Mm -hmm. uh, for, for instance, in the, in the days of King Saul, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, he said to Saul, basically take the army of Israel, go and smite the Amalekites and utterly destroy all that they have, spare them not, slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Uh, in that case, we can go back to Deuteronomy 25:17, Exodus 17, verse 14, and find out that the Amalekites were a, a, a very wicked people and that they had specifically themselves been guilty of atrocities against the Israelites. Mm -hmm. And so uh, here's, a, here's a nation of people that had been guilty of committing war atrocities themselves. Did And, and so... I'm just I'm suggesting by way of this question that the idea that certain actions deserve punishment at least in part explains why God commanded, for instance, in this instance. Now, we still got to deal with the question of the innocent children. I mean, that's very troubling to a lot of people. and We're going to get to that. But if if there are actions that deserve punishment and God used the armies of Israel as an agent to to affect that punishment, then I think that explains some of what we read in the Old Testament. All right, that gets that that takes care of some of the uh, punishment that we read about in the Old Testament. Tim has admitted that uh, some punishment is acceptable, and uh, what standard you would use for determining what punishment is acceptable and what is not. Uh, that we'd have to ask Tim that question as well. How do you determine that? Well, there's the line. You can punish up to this line, but you can't go over that. We'd have to ask where do you get that uh, that standard. Ramona says uh, they don't believe in sin, just in making bad decisions and suffering the consequences, but with no God involved. I think this. Uh, think because of this, they believe that they, there were uh, just bad decisions being made by those in the Old Testament. But atheists have not delved into the reality of the Old Testament. In the beginning, there was no violence, but man through sin caused violence. God punished them. But at the end of the Old Testament, one can see God's vision of peace through Jesus Christ. One has to read the whole story to understand why God, God punished them. You must see the actual story in the Bible not the atheistic, naturalistic story of it. Thank okay. you, Ramona. Uh, Chris in Atlanta says, Some hardcore atheists would not agree that some actions deserve punishment. Some do not feel that way, but most do, and again appeal to the argument that as a means of survival, we must have systems of reward and punishment. They are hypocritical when they condemn God for his actions, but make their judgments of right and wrong. If there is no God-given morality, then how can they judge something as wrong or unjust? Jason says, don't know exactly what you're asking with this question. God has a morally justifiable reason for everything he causes to happen or allows. Whether atheists may agree with what God causes or allows to happen is irrelevant. If atheists were consistent with their worldview, they can only say that they have the preference that some kind of action is deserving of punishment. But they can't judge the person because he believed what he was doing is right. If this, if it was just one complex chemical reaction ending another complex, it was just one complex chemical reaction ending another complex chemical reaction in the naturalistic view of things, Jason says. Okay. Um, Peter in Australia says, I'm not sure they would agree that some form of punish about some form of punishment for wrongdoing. That is, no, excuse me, I'm re misreading. Peter says, I'm sure they would agree with some form of punishment for wrongdoing. That is the basis of laws in most countries. God always gave people opportunities to correct their behavior before handing down the punishment. You know, that's one thing that factors into this discussion, as Peter mentioned. God was not just arbitrary in the punishments that he handed down. Uh, God gave opportunity for repentance. That's in the nature of God, the God that we read about in the Bible. God's not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance, Second uh, Peter 3, verse 9 says. And we see instances of that. For instance, in, in the book of Jonah in the Old Testament, Jonah was sent to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were incredibly bloody people. Historical accounts talk about just the brutality of the, of the Assyrians when they conquered other nations. And they were conquering everybody in that day. They were the big kid on the block, and they were beating up everybody. They were, they were very 
horrible in the tortures and the and the annihilations that they would would bring upon other nations when they conquered them. What did God do? He sent Jonah to them with a message of repentance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think Peter makes a good point. You know, God did send punishment on various nations and peoples, but we can see that he did give them opportunity to correct that before he did so. All right. We need to get a break and get back on track. We'll continue this thought when we get back. Uh, would ask Tim uh, in the chat room if you would respond. Um, how do you know that what God did in the Old Testament is far from being what can, can, could be considered appropriate? How do you make the determination? that what God did in the Old Testament in punishing the people that he punished is far from being appropriate. Please uh, give your standard for that. How do you make that determination? I'd like to know uh, how you determine that. Why do you think it was wrong for God to, for instance, kill the Amalekites and wipe them out? Why do you think that was wrong? Let us know your thoughts on that. 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. Ohio Senator Rob Portman recently announced that he now supports same-sex marriage. This makes Portman the first sitting Republican senator to take this position, and it's especially noteworthy since he was a supporter of the Defense of Marriage Act back in 1996. That act defined marriage as between a man and a woman. So what could cause this dramatic change in a previously conservative politician? Well, it seems that Portman's son has come out as a homosexual. We could spend time identifying the Bible proof that homosexuality is a sin. We could answer all the arguments of the many, including many religious types, that claim otherwise. But our point of emphasis here is on the fact that this man totally changed on an important moral issue because a loved one is involved. We wonder what it would take to get Mr. Portman to sell out his morality on other issues. Could he be swayed on abortion? Portman is currently pro-life, but what if he had a daughter who was caught up in that sin? Would he cave on pedophilia if a loved one was found guilty? What if another of his sons turns out to be a thief, a rapist, a murderer? Where does one stop once he surrenders his moral convictions? Unfortunately, this compromised senator is not alone. Too many, and not a few Christians, fail to stand up for what's right when their own families are entangled in sin. How often have we heard otherwise sound brethren who offer excuses, failed arguments, and illogical explanations when their children or other loved ones are engaged in sinful conduct? Drinking, fornication, gambling, dancing, unscriptural divorce and remarriage, the list goes on and on. All are defended if it gets too close to home. Parents, grandparents, siblings, and other relatives and friends become enablers of such sins by their refusal to stand firmly for what is right. Instead of this spirit of compromise, we must earnestly contend for the faith. Jude, verse 3. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, my name is Bob Tidwell, and I want to remind you that the Virtual Bible Study provides a great opportunity to use your computer for something good. So turn off the TV and guide the family around the computer each Thursday night for the Virtual Bible Study. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight. We remind you this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And if you have any questions about anything you've heard on a past edition of the virtual Bible study, or if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future edition, we welcome those thoughts or comments anytime at questions at collegeview.com. We're talking about God on the program tonight and asking the question, is God immoral, as many atheists claim that he is? We were dealing with the question, would atheists agree that some actions deserve some sort of punishment? And if so, does this explain part of what God commanded in the Old Testament? Chris New case says, uh, a part of social justice, yes, to benefit their society as a whole. In other words, the atheists would agree. One that will overall help it rather than harm it and remove the harmful aspects from it. During the time of the judges and kings, when people rejected God and society deemed idolatrous practices like child sacrifice or prostitution as worship, and no, as prostitution in their worship as unacceptable, or, uh, that was seen as something to be removed from his people. So, uh, again, I, I, I think I'm following Chris's uh, logic there to say that, yes, it does explain part of what God did. In other words, even the atheists agree some things need to be ridded from society. God was ridding some things from society, and therefore that's that's an ex, a working explanation. 
All right, Jim in Kentucky says the atheist obviously believes in some sort of punishment because they have declared God is wrong for his actions. If no punishment is necessary, such as shunning God or accusing him of wrongdoing, then why mention it at all? Again, as with any liberal mindset, they do believe in punishment, but only of those whom they believe employ a religious standard of righteousness. Thank you, Jim. And Anthony, who was in the chat room, but I see he assigned out of the chat room, but he's, he's sending an email. He says, yes, I believe even atheists think that some things are wrong and should be punished. They might say that this punishment shouldn't include death, perhaps. Many atheists would say, do no harm. And again, we're challenging why. But uh, he goes on to say, so if someone does do harm, they are guilty and deserve some kind of punishment. Some of the people God ordered the Israelites to vanquish were burning their infants alive in sacrifice to idols. Would an atheist condone this? I think not. Even if he did condone it, God knows all. This is a concept we cannot completely fathom. His justice doesn't, nearly, doesn't necessarily make sense to our human finite mind. Monty has his hand up in the back of the class. Monty, go ahead. One would think that atheists would understand and condone and go along with God, just like with King Saul sending him to destroy the Amalekites. Because when you consider the process of natural selection, obviously these people were genetically deficient or the Israelites wouldn't have been able to overcome them and destroy them in that way. So, therefore, this was natural selection. The strongest survived and prevailed. So it's a, it's a, it was a perfectly orderly thing, and there wouldn't be anything wrong with it. So if God ordered this to be done, it's still just according to their process of evolution and natural selection. All right. Well, Tim in the chat room talks about, uh, I asked the question to Tim, how does he know that uh, what God did in the Old Testament is far from be- what could be considered appropriate? Tim says, killing an entire group of people and animals and destroying their town is wrong. Again, by what standard? He says, or how about Moses giving the virgin woman to the defeated group, uh, of the defeated group, to the warriors to do with as they please? Uh, What example? You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what he's talking about. His reference there, Tim. Maybe you can provide us with the reference there on that one. If you cannot see that the examples displayed in the writing of the Old Testament are wrong, then how can you say what Hitler did was wrong? Well, again. Tim, what standard do you use? You've made the claim that it is wrong to kill an entire group of people and animals and destroy their town. But what standard do you use to make that claim? If you could give us that standard, it would help us to understand where you're coming from. What standard do you use? We need to know the standard. Yeah, because, Tim, uh, you keep using the words right and wrong. But the words right and wrong necessitate a basis upon which to make that determination. And, and that's really what we're challenging about. It has, there has to be some objective standard if there is right and wrong. Right and wrong and good or bad are relative terms compared to what? And that's what yeah. we're asking is yeah. the what are we compared it to? Yeah. All right. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, Tim says you justify your specific chosen version of your specific chosen God by your particular holy books and your specific group's man-sourced interpretations of a book written by men. How is that the basis of saying you are right? Remember, your Church of Christ religion was registered in America only in 1806. If my memory serves, I have guns older than your religion. No, you don't, uh, Tim. Uh, but that's another uh, discussion for yeah. another day. Yeah. Uh, we've got Patrick, uh, who is in the chat room and is busy writing in the chat room, too. He says, uh, in other words, do the atheists agree some things deserve punishment? Would this explain some of the actions of God? Uh, Patrick says... Um, the answer would be no, because there is no atheists do not can't really demand that certain things be punished because there is no objective criteria by which an act is considered moral or immoral. Then it follows that there is no act which is inherently deserving of punishment. What is deserving of punishment is based entirely upon the tenets of the social contract, particularly as understood by the dominant group in society. Uh, basically, for an atheist to say, I think something should be punished. Uh, Really, as Patrick is saying, is self-contradictory, basically. He goes, I suppose an atheist would have to answer the question for himself as to whether this would be a legitimate explanation for any of God's actions. I would think it could be assumed that God is a dominant force, but he would be in the minority numerically if human society disagrees with him. Thus, in either case, the atheist is likely to see God as a domineering tyrant on the basis of God being in discord with the tenets of human society's social contract. It is likely to be the rare atheist who might accept the idea that God's authority is in any way defensible on the grounds of his power, despite the might-makes-right philosophy, which so often underlies the atheistic worldview. All right. Tim says, I emailed you a basis of, of a standard. Just because you are refusing to examine what I am saying in that basis does not mean it is not there. 
read what I write and think about it. Well, we did read what you wrote, Tim, I think, and maybe you can We, we had to highlight it because it was just too, uh, but, very but long. We read but read about this, the idea that we have the same goals and we live on the same planet and we're going around the same sun and things like that. But we said those things don't really establish a standard. And you said that the standard is you can't harm, but where does where did where does that idea come from from the fact that we all live on the same planet we breathe the same air how does the idea that we can't actually we live on the same planet and i don't want you breathing my air you're using up my air i'm gonna kill you because it's in my self-interest that you do not deplete the resources that i'm depending upon why wouldn't that argument be just as sound as the idea that we share common interests, therefore we take care of each other. But if you're the genetically superior one, you should do that in order for the process of natural selection to breed a superior human race. I think so, too. I mean, that, that logically, that would have to be. And what we're saying is if, if we're just basing this on, the, uh, on human logic and what seems right to man, to the strongest, that would be the right decision. But that's not, what, that's not how society has, has operated. Why? That's the question that can't be answered. All right, we're going to go to the top of the hour after this. So we've got lots to talk about. We may not get through, but we'd like your thoughts nonetheless. 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Work spares us from three evils, boredom, vice, and need. You cannot plow a field by turning it over in your mind. Knowing is not enough, we must apply. Willing is not enough, we must do. He who persistently attends, pointedly asks, calmly speaks, coolly answers, and ceases when he has no more to say, is in possession of some of the best requisites of man. Govern thy life and thoughts as if the whole world were to see the one and read the other. Man, wish I'd said that. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. We're back on the program tonight, and we welcome you back as we talk about uh, God and ask the question, is God immoral? I don't know. We're not going to get done. We're going to roll this over for a week? We, we might roll it over and expand it a little bit more next week. Okay. I think it's, it's, there We don't seems, usually do that, but we might. There seems to be a lot of interest uh, in, in discussing these things. I think it's an important. We haven't really gotten to some of the meat uh, of the matter, and so uh, maybe it'll be worthy to continue. I, uh, we're going to... Uh, Go on to this third question, Jacob. The third question was, are atheists being hypocritical to condemn the killing of innocent children in the Old Testament when they defend the act of abortion today? Now, you know, one of the things that is, one of the things that's very troubling is, is in these episodes, we referenced 1 Samuel chapter 15 when God told King Saul and the army of Israel to utterly destroy the Amalekites, uh, destroy all that they have, spare them not. Slay both man and woman, infant and suckling child, ox and sheep, camel and ass. What about those kids? I mean, and especially those babies. I mean, that, that's. I gotta admit, I'm not. I'm not dodging this. I gotta admit, that's that's a sort of a tough thing to, to handle. All right. Well, let's ask the question of Tim, the atheist. Uh, are, are is Tim being hypocritical to, to condemn the killing of innocent children in the Old Testament when? he would defend the act of abortion. Here's what Tim says. Abortion is a very sensitive uh, and complex topic, 
And I do not know anyone that is happy about abortion. When looking at well, it. Well, wait a minute. Now that's a, that's a, yeah, that's a misstatement. That's lots of people are very excited that abortion is legal. Okay, well that's true. When looking at it, it has to be looked at at uh, at fully as long term effects, not just short term. What is the overall result of the child being born? I know the overall result of the child being born. He's going to get sick and die. Period. No exception. Let's see how Tim looks at it. Will the mother die? Will the children, child be neglected, abused as a result of terrible parents and caregivers? Will the child, having grown up in that negative environment, be much more likely to struggle with many issues or have a negative effect on society? Well, that's an evolutionary concept. In other words, he, this child, if left to live, will have a negative impact on society. Let's get rid of him. Well, but wait, well, wait, wait, wait that harms him, though. I thought that it could Do no harm. harm. Do no harm. But that almost sounds like let's get rid of the bad genes. Let's, let's get rid of that which is a downer on our society okay. go ahead all right another fact is the world has a specific carrying capacity and we are rapidly overpopulating our planet despite christian views that the world and everything on it was put here for our selfish wants and desires that's a false statement too we're nowhere near carrying capacity all right and it's not here just for our own selfish desires uh this simply is not the case and we must be responsible with our planet and resources i don't think that anyone here is arguing against that i would assume based on your uh region that you have a fair amount of hunters in your church, and good hunters understand carrying capacity of the land. Additionally, I always hear Christians preach about abortion, but what are you doing to solve the problem other than telling people uh, to have uh, to have the babies? We're, we're we're trying to work on that problem uh, at the at the forefront of it, at the at the uh, what do you call it? At the genesis of it. Uh, we're trying to prevent the unwanted pregnancies by. Uh, telling people teaching morality to be, yeah, to by moral. teaching morality. Uh, imagine that, but we can't teach morality. But uh, okay, anyhow, are you going to take uh, the un, in the unwanted now, children into your s- home? Stop right there. When I read that earlier, that that is really uh, a, a prejudicial, mean <coughs> accusation. He doesn't know anything about what's being done by by the people of this church or other churches to care for needy people, infants, and others. He's made a a tacit accusation here that we're we're ignoring uh, people in society who have needs, children and others, and that's not the case. Well, he goes on. I, I know I know scores of parents who have adopted children, taken them into their home, and cared for them, and so forth. So that's, in other words, that that that's a, an ad hominem uh, attack that's not justified. Are you teaching parents how to be parents out in the community? Yes, we are. Last summer we did uh, in the community taught parents. We, we how to had be parents. Bible studies in the park about parenting and child rearing. Are you giving money from your collection plate to help get spe- uh, potential parents to a place where they can actually support a child? Myself, I am an immoral, hellbound atheist, according to you. But my grasp of society led me to take two children from the foster system into my home and am currently in the process of adopting these kids into my family. Why don't you have a radio show about the caring of orphans and widows? Is that not in the Bible? It certainly is, and we have talked about that. Until we can solve the numerous issues leading to possible reasons to consider the option of abortion, either start... Adoption. No, no, he um, he meant... No, he sent me a follow-up email. He didn't mean abortion there. Either start stepping up and and get these unwanted parentless kids into your homes or find something else to talk about because your words are not helping the issue. Well, again... What? What? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of without words on that. That it is it. That that is just. He's dodging. He's dodging the issue. I think. Yeah. I mean, the fact of the matter is. Either, I the, think you'd go. I think you'd look pretty long and hard to find an atheist that opposes abortion. I, I, I'm sure there are some, but I would have to think the vast majority of atheists support legalized abortion. Just Sunday, Jacob, in, in the lesson, we talked about some of the statistics relative to abortion. In 40 years, since 1973, when abortion was legalized in the United States, over 55 million unborn children have been killed. It's incredible. I mean, the numbers are just astronomical. You, you can't hardly even deal with the kind of numbers of the children that have been killed just in America. That, has, that says nothing about other places in the world that are also performing abortions uh, willy-nilly. Uh, so... The atheist, and again, and you may find rare exceptions, but the atheists support the killing of those numbers of innocent babies. Now, did some innocent children in the Bible? Did they? Were there some innocent children who who were uh, who suffered the consequences of some of those wars that were take that, that happened? Yes, I'll tell you, the numbers came nowhere close to 55 million. There weren't even that many people in the world in Old Testament times, and so. Yes, there were some, but but it 
wouldn't even hold a candle to the numbers killed by abortion. And that's what the vast majority of atheists want to happen. Tim says he does not like abortion in the slightest. Tim, is it right or is it wrong? That's the question. Will you condemn it, Tim? In accordance with what standard did he determine it was right or wrong? Well, but if he admits that it is right, then he loses his argument against God. But really, Tim. And if he admits that it's wrong, then he would have to be getting close to admitting that God's standard is correct on that subject, at least. Okay. Let's see what some of our other correspondents say about this. Ramona says, concerning atheists being hypocritical, she says they don't believe aborted babies are human beings. Yes, they're being hypocritical because aborted babies are human beings. All right. Chris in Georgia says, yes, they are, but many do not view the fetus as human life, so they do not see their position as hypocritical. That is an absurd position to hold, and I could write passages on why an unborn child is alive and deserves the same rights as any other human. All right. Jason says, my answer is both yes and no. Yes, they're being hypocritical when they condemn anything as absolutely wrong or say anything is absolutely right. They are living contrary to their worldview in doing so. They deny God and absolute truth and morality, but they live as though there is an absolute moral law and an absolute moral law giver when they make such judgment. They only use the Old Testament to criticize God so they can have more excuses to suppress the truth and live how they want to live by their own authority. But he says also, no, if you define hypocrisy as acting contrary to your beliefs, I would say according to their worldview, they are being consistent. They believe that the child in the womb is less evolved or less than human, which many do. They would be consistent in removing what they consider to be a blob of tissue. Dawkins himself said last week, quote, with respect to those meanings of human that are relevant to the morality of abortion, any fetus is less human than an adult pig. I didn't know that. He's quoting Dawkins. I don't know where he got that quote. He says, this is not the first time that an atheist has said such things. So in this sense, they are not being hypocritical if they believe the baby in the womb is less than human. They're being consistent with their worldview and making arbitrary distinctions between the baby in the womb and the baby outside the womb. Uh, So he says they're not. In other words, you can't equate killing babies in the womb with killing the babies of the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 15. He says says, uh, they wouldn't see those as uh, equal in in uh, status. Peter in Australia says, yes, definitely. People who condemn the Bible and Christians usually are hypocritical. The the article in this week's newsletter uh, details a prime example. All right. Okay, and Chris uh, in the U.K. says, um, a small fact for you to begin with. Around November last year, the all-time total amount of abortions in the U.S. exceeded the actual population of my country, the, the, the United Kingdom, of 55 million. There's actually no single atheist position on abortion and no authority to determine what atheists are supposed to think. They are essentially pro-choice, yet apparently anti-abortion, to me a logical contradiction. They would say they wouldn't choose it for themselves, but think illegalizing it would be wrong. And I think that's probably where Tim is, by the way. He says, some atheists believe that abortion should be a legal right, not just on the basis of ideas like privacy Uh, and personal autonomy, but also because there are times when abortion is a moral good and a positive choice. The fact that a woman is in a position where the choice is necessary may be unfortunate, yet this doesn't mean that making the choice is something to be ashamed of. There are atheists, albeit a minority, who oppose oppose abortion as well. They aren't typically anti-choice for religious reasons, but their conviction is as strong as anyone. At the same time, though, I haven't seen any atheists who sincerely think that abortion is the moral equivalent of murder and that those involved should be treated like murderers. Though differing opinion, though di- the differing opinions on abortion, the minority aside, are advocating an elimination of real people who are wholly innocent compared to the killing of people of nations who were actively allowing or passively, but without rising to halt such practices were abhorrent and so guilt were guilty of evil. Were the allies wrong in dealing with the axis and their inherent evils? So yes, broadly they are guilty of hypocrisy. Okay, we're out of time. Are uh, we really? We are we out have... of time. You, you, yeah, it's been a fast hour, but uh, we we didn't get through. We're going to have to go next week. On yeah, the we'll, same carry, we'll carry this over. It's it's about... an important time. We really we really didn't get to the heart of the matter. We we've asked about the atheist, but we haven't really tried to give our an answer from our perspective as to how we explain 
the violence of the Old Testament and so forth. We'll expand. We'll look for an update next week. We'll expand some of these remaining questions and, and go to it a little deeper. Tim, we'll be in touch by email. See if you want to join us on the program in person next week. We, we, we just want a friendly discussion. I think we've had one tonight. I think Tim's mad at us. We're not mad at Tim. Uh, Tim, we appreciate you for listening and we appreciate your comments. Uh, we, uh, we, we just want to hear each other out and, uh, and get to a better understanding of each other. Well, Monty, you've been behind the controls, done a great job tonight. Uh, any thoughts uh, from your end of the, the line tonight? Well, it's just I don't understand how these people can condemn God for doing just like killing the innocents in the Old Testament when they're willing to kill 55 million innocents just in this country up to date. So, you know, if it's okay for us to do it, why would it have not been okay for God to do it? I, I think we need a consistent standard. Whatever that standard is, then let's go with it. And I don't you'd think feel like even they're if, being consistent. You'd think even if we're coming up with our own standard, it at least has to be consistently applied, right? Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and we never really got to the answer how the atheists get their standards. I haven't I haven't heard it. That, that's never been answered satisfactorily, in I my opinion. Heard, I haven't heard it tonight, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how do you get to that standard? You say God's wrong, but you're sort of conceding the fact that there is a God, as one of our listeners has said, because you're using his standard to say that. Thank All right. You. Well, thank you for your time tonight. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for listening to the program. We uh, encourage you to be, make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.